Welcome to Fracking and Health, Ask an Expert. The Endocrine Disruption Exchange has been studying the health impacts from unconventional oil and gas development, also known as fracking, since 2004. In each episode, our Executive Director, Carol Kwiatkowski, asks an expert to answer a question on how fracking may affect your health. You can submit a question at TEDx.org. Welcome to episode 17, where we ask, what does fracking have to do with plastic? I'm talking today with Stephen Feit, an attorney in the Climate and Energy Program of the Center for International Environmental Law. He's a co-author on the investigative series of reports, Fueling Plastics, that examines the deep linkages between the fossil fuels and plastics industries. Welcome, Mr. Feit. Thank you for having me. First question. People think of fossil fuels as coal, oil, natural gas. Tell us how is extraction, for example, drilling and fracking, shifting from fuels being the target material to other petrochemicals as the target? Historically, fossil fuels have primarily been sought after uh, for their use as combustible fuels. But looking forward, the industry, especially the gas and oil industry, are looking towards other applications and specifically petrochemicals and especially plastic production uh, to fuel the growth in, in the production and use of these, these materials. So, for example, in the United States, the fracking boom that uh, has driven such a large increase in the production of natural gas uh, from these shale plays is not especially profitable if you are just looking at the methane uh, for use in, you know, uh, electricity production or cooking. Um, But the natural gas liquids, the other elements of the natural gas that can be used for petrochemicals are where a lot of the, the profit is being sought. So to a really large extent, the boom in fracking in the United States is being driven by petrochemicals as much as the use of natural gas as a combustible fuel. Whereas plastic was formerly you know, a byproduct of the refining process or of gas production, it's quickly becoming uh, either a co-product or the the primary purpose for uh, these these wells, and so you can see this in the oil industry as well as the gas industry. In uh, the oil industry, some of the oil uh, can be refined and turned into plastics. At present, in the four to eight percent range of all oval all oil produced globally, excuse me. Um, is used to produce plastic, the expectation based on industry projections and growth rates is that by 2050, under a business-as-usual scenario, uh, 20% or more of global, plas- uh, global oil production may be used to make plastic, uh, and 50% of the growth in oil production and use between now and 2050 is expected to be for plastic production. And how is this changing the landscape, literally, in terms of building capacity to make more plastic in the U.S. and globally? In the United States, the fracking boom has led to a subsequent massive wave of investment in additional 
capacity to produce petrochemicals. Uh, the most recent figures as of September 2018 from the American Chemistry Council, which is the petrochemical and plastics uh, industry group, reported that over $200 billion of announced capital investment had been announced in 333 either new or expanded uh, facilities. So this is, this is really a massive expansion in U.S. petrochemical production capacity. Uh, historically, petrochemical production has been concentrated in the Gulf Coast, Texas and Louisiana. This area is known in some circles as Cancer Alley because of the extraordinarily high concentration of such facilities in the region. Uh, this remains true today. A lot of the planned or currently ongoing construction, uh, the majority in fact, linked to shale gas is in that region, Texas and Louisiana. But an additional hotspot is in Appalachia or the Ohio River Valley. There had been some activity there before this fracking boom, which started in around 2010, but now it's really heating up and looking to be an entirely new epicenter for this kind of activity. Uh, and there are reports describing or warning that it may become the next cancer out. And that's, that's just in the United States. Right now, the United States is one of the primary regions for the expansion of this, uh, of this industry. But the expansion isn't limited to within the borders of the United States. Already, we have ethane from natural gas fracked in Pennsylvania being shipped by pipeline to the coast and then shipped overseas to uh, Europe to provide chemical feedstocks for plastic production uh, for the company Ineos, which is based in the United Kingdom, but which is seeking to operate a new plant out of Antwerp, Belgium. So I wanted to follow up um, your comment about the areas where this development is occurring. And can you give us a sense of what types of industries it entails to say that you're going from fossil fuels to plastic production? Absolutely. So the process of turning a fossil fuel into a plastic has a number of steps, right? There's the extraction and transportation of the material itself. In the case of natural gas, it needs to go through a fractionator or a separator to, to separate it into its component parts, all the different hydrocarbons. Um, and then the ethane especially goes to these big facilities called ethane crackers that uh, take a lot of energy and a lot of heat and turn the ethane into ethylene, which is the base chemical for most plastics. And then that ethylene goes to polymerization plants, additives, which have their own supply chains are added in, and you end up with plastic resins. The, the little pellets or nurdles that can then be shipped, you know, wherever else to, to be remolded into plastic products that you might recognize. Up until that stage, all of this tends to happen in tightly concentrated geographic areas because the manipulation of the materials themselves, these chemical feedstocks, is difficult to do over long distances. You extract natural gas, for example, and the raw natural gas needs to be processed because some of it is 
the methane, which is naturally gaseous, the natural gas liquids, as the name implies, are liquid at the standard temperature and pressure um, and, and need to be separated out and moved in different ways. So this is why we've had Cancer Alley in uh, Texas and Louisiana and these, these concentrated regions in the past and why the expectation is that if industry plans go according to plan, that will have something similar in Appalachia. But that is to say nothing of the additives, which themselves are quite toxic. There are so many different plasticizers or other kinds of additives that are put into various plastics that it's really difficult to drill down on just one or two as particularly harmful when there are myriad health effects that that appear all throughout the process. Um, but some of the more obvious ones, for example, might be chloralkali plants for the production of PVC or polyvinyl chloride, where in addition to the entire fossil fuel supply chain from fracking well through fractionator, compressor, ethane cracker, polymerization plant, etc., one also needs to have the chloralkali plant, which again, processing uh, incredibly caustic and toxic chlorine and alkaline chemicals. Um, but that's just one example of, of many. So what impacts does this concentrated industry have on people's health and, and on the environment? There are myriad effects, and uh, it's difficult to just talk about one. I think the most important takeaway is that the entire plastic life cycle, from fossil fuel production to the transformation, production, and manufacture of plastics, the use of plastics, their management as waste, uh, especially if they're being burned or incinerated in, in waste-to-energy facilities, and then their continued and persistent existence in the environment pose a number of toxic threats, threats to food security and food safety, as well as have an enormous greenhouse gas emissions profile exacerbating the effects of climate change. Uh, if we're just talking about petrochemicals, I mean, there are, I forget the number, but hundreds of chemicals used in the uh, production process of natural gas. People may be familiar with the risks of uh, fracking brine or the, the wastewater used in the hydraulic fracturing process. There are uh, leaks. There are so many different impacts that it's hard to really just focus on, on one. And to this point, CL, along with a number of organizations, has recently published a report tracing these effects throughout the plastic life cycle and their toxic and health impacts. But I think it's important to understand how pervasive these materials and these impacts are in the communities where the feedstocks are produced to the communities near the facilities that process them, to all of us where plastic is distributed, sold, and then the communities near incinerators or where uh, plastic is being burned openly because there's simply no way to process it. And then in our rivers, streams, oceans, and agricultural soils where microplastics are being found 
and then working their way back into the food chain, which again can further impact human health as we consume those plants or animals or the water that, that those plastics are in. It's truly overwhelming. What recommendations do you have for what people or nonprofit organizations, advocacy organizations can do to address this? So first, I think it's important to recognize the entire life cycle of plastic. Plastic is often thought of as a product that comes from nowhere and goes to nowhere, but that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. And having that full perspective from fossil fuels, from wellhead all the way to the incinerators and the oceans and everything in between is important to understanding how to combat this problem. We're in a moment of aggressive industry expansion and it is important to resist this expansion while it's happening now rather than try to fix it after the fact. In the United States, that means supporting communities so that they can make decisions about their uh, local environment and their health and that they can say no to projects which are being cited right next to them, threatening their health and safety, the quality of their water, air, and soil. For thinking about more downstream, that means supporting zero waste initiatives to make sure that communities are liberated from a dependence on plastic that has been framed as our consumer choice and our responsibility when in fact those choices were not made uh, by all of us but by corporations who wanted to sell that plastic. I think importantly there's a need to collaborate and to come together. This is a problem that affects individual communities quite severely. The environmental justice movement has been trying to or has been uh, dealing with this for a long time, and it's important to bring that into the public light. Uh, but this also affects all of us in terms of food security, in terms of climate change. This is both a problem that is intensely local, uh, but one that is global in scale. And pushing back on this expansion is going to require collaboration and solidarity and uh, a joint effort. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much for your time and talking about this issue with our audience. Thank you. TEDx is a nonprofit research institute funded by grants from private foundations and by donations from individuals like you who care about our health and the environment. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider making a tax-deductible gift to TEDx so we can continue bringing you the most up-to-date scientific information on the impacts of fracking on your health. Please visit our website at tedx.org for more information on what we do, to submit a question for an expert, or to make a donation. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.